The city, like a hive, is teeming with life. People crawl over it like insects or parasites. It's a place you can thrive or die in a ditch, where you can step on the poor to get slightly more rich. When the mountains are flat and the seas are dry, the towers will stand, stabbing the sky. As long as there is freedom and people in chains, humanity dies, Fridos remains. Lillian was holding her breath. She'd been holding the envelope in her hands for two minutes, and in all that time, she had barely sighed. Her body was still, but her mind was racing. What had just happened, she told herself, and she quickly scanned her surroundings to commit the exact moment to memory. She then cast her mind back to the stairwell up to her room. Nothing too interesting, but there was something. That man she had seen on the way to her door, he'd been smartly dressed with a hat and a cane. Something strange about it. Lillian examined the image in her head from every angle. He'd had a small beard, but there was something about his cane that was blurry in Lillian's mind. She'd been trying to remember it for the past 30 seconds, but nothing was springing to mind. As far as she could tell, he was the only thing that was different about her journey home. He certainly stood out from the normal crowd on her road. Had he delivered the invitation? Lillian shook herself out of the loop. What did it matter who delivered it? Here it was. And it could only be one thing. Lillian went to sit at her small writing desk in the corner under the window. The sky was still blue, but little stars could be seen dotting the dusk. Lillian breathed a slow breath and jerked the invitation away from Fritha's curious and wet nose. The envelope was pink and something had been done to the paper to make it shine. Even in the low light of the evening, Lillian could see a golden sheen glisten when the envelope was twisted. She paused before breaking the wax seal, which was embossed with the head of a lynx in green wax. Should she wait for Mr. Atticop or Catherine to be present before opening it? She glanced at the green ink and the expert calligraphy on the front. It said, Lillian Lausanne, top floor, fourth building on the left, Vulpers Road, Old Town, Fridos. Well, she thought, it is addressed to me. Dear Miss Lausanne, your presence is cordially requested in the palace tomorrow evening for a night of frivolity and celebration. As is tradition, I would like to apologise for the late notice, but you have been judged a perfect party guest by the lady of the house and we simply cannot celebrate without you. Please dress as your best festive self as befits the theme. This year, the ball is in the enchanted forest. Your friend... Empress Sylvia. Lillian's head was still spinning. She reread the invitation two more times and let her brain pick out every problem it could possibly come up with. Some people might call this a nervous breakdown. Those people have never trained to fight against Cromwell Atacop. Some problems had obvious solutions. 
the dress, for example, she could make in the morning. Others, like what exactly an enchanted forest was, were tougher to solve there and then. Lillian glanced out of the window and saw the sky had significantly darkened in the time she'd stood there reading. Should she visit Mr. Atticop now, or was it too late? She wondered. She made up her mind in the same breath and grabbed her cloak to get ready to leave. She folded the invitation up and slotted it neatly back into its envelope. She wanted to hold on to it while walking so as to avoid it creasing in a bag or pocket. Lillian whistled for Fritha to get up off the bed, which she did so reluctantly after a big yawn. Moments later, they were walking down the road towards where they had just come from. On their second corner, they passed a group of young men standing outside an inn. Lillian clutched the invitation close to her chest and quickened her pace as she passed them. She thought she heard one of them say the word letter, but did not want to look back to check. Thankfully, she was not followed to Mr. Atticop's basement. He opened the trap door after she knocked on it and looked about cautiously before letting her down the steep steps. Is everything all right, Lillian? It's awfully late. I... Lillian did not let him finish speaking. She just held up the envelope out in front of her. Mr. Atticop paused, then pointed, then said, Is that... To which Lillian nodded so quickly she risked spraining her neck. Mr. Atticop held out his hand tentatively. Lillian handed it to him and watched him recede into the basement. Lillian followed him and waited at the bottom of the staircase, watching him read the invitation. He began to pace, as he always did, when deep in thought. Lillian was waiting for a jump for joy, a celebration. But none came. Well? she asked, trying to induce some sort of cheer. Mr. Atkop looked back at her with a stern expression on his face. Hmm? Oh, yes, very good. Excellent news. Lillian narrowed her eyes. But? She watched him walk towards a chair, grab the back of it, and lower himself down. He thought there for a few seconds before speaking. Lillian, this world... He waved the invitation. This is like a game of chess, you understand? There are people with too much money and time on their hands to do anything else but play. This is great for our purpose of finding the blacksmith, but if I'm being honest, I would rather we had stolen one. Lillian cocked her head in confusion. Why? Because this means you've been invited to play the game. And in chess, just like in politics, there are queens and there are pawns. I don't want you running in there just to be a piece in someone else's twisted tactics. If we had more time, we could work out who sponsored you or suggested your name to the Empress, but we don't. This, he looked back at the pink and shimmering paper, this is a dangerous key to a dangerous world. Pieces get taken out in chess, and it's usually the pawns that are the first to go. Almost all of Lillian's excitement at getting the letter had disappeared. Mr. Atticop was right. This was no small bit of luck. It was a calculated move. But as ever was the case with Lillian Lausanne, her optimism began to take over. If we know I'm there because someone else is using me, doesn't that give me the advantage?
I mean, I know what they want, but they don't know I know, you know? Mr. Atkop considered this. So if you subverted the expectation, do things at parties that people don't normally do, barely speak to anyone and remain aloof while trying to find a quiet spot to search for the bell, then you just might be able to avoid anyone attempting to get to you. Yes, said Lillian. Or I could just go and enjoy the party. She trailed off. She wasn't even convincing herself. Fine, she threw her hands up in the face of Mr. Atkop's glare. I'll do what you said, but if someone talks to me, I'm not going to just snub them. I don't want to leave the ball after having offended everyone. Mr. Atkop slapped his hands on his knees and hoisted himself up. Oh, Lillian, he said, you have no idea. The next day started early. Lillian was up and ready to leave her room by the first sign of sun. Even Fritha protested against the early hour, rolling over on her rug and shutting her eyes when Lillian went to wake her. Soon, the two of them were out in the fresh, cool air. Lillian was glad of the weather. By midday, Fridos would be a melting pot of sweaty citizens, and Lillian intended to get most of her work done in the relative coolness of the morning. She spoke to a linen dealer in the garment district, just as he was unloading his cart. She bought a length of blue material and some white lace before stopping off at a small shop for sewing supplies. The sun had almost fully risen by the time she got back to her room, and, just as the temperature grew, so did Lillian's frustration. The glaring, garish light of midday was streaming in through Lillian's little window like molten metal into a blacksmith's mould. Lillian pricked her finger for the sixth time and threw the entire blue mess onto the floor. She had roughly eight hours to get ready and this pesky dress was supposed to be done by breakfast. Lillian's fury was suddenly interrupted by a timid knock at the door. Great, she thought. This is the last thing I need, Mr. Atacop running me through the plan. But when she opened the door, it was Catherine who was standing on the other side. Just checking to see how you're doing. I ran into Cromwell. He told me about tonight. Can I come in? Lillian nodded and stood aside. Dear gods, it's like the twelve hells in here. What's that? She pointed to Lillian's feeble attempt at dressmaking whilst fanning herself with her hand. I need a dress, and I can't afford a new one, not when they've upped all their prices today. Catherine looked at the crumpled pile of blue and shook her head. Lillian, I love you, but that is hideous. Lillian laughed. It's all she could do, given the circumstance. Listen, let me take care of the dress. Just be at this address at Fourth Bell, and I'll help you get ready. Catherine quickly scrawled something onto a sheet and handed the paper to Lillian. It's near where we met the catfish. Isn't that the house where you work? Yep. Catherine nodded, and then seeing Lillian's apprehensive expression, It's fine. The lady will be out. Now, you get out of this small oven before it cooks you. Look at Fritha. She pointed to the hot-looking fanehound in the corner. Her fur was bright white, and she was panting heavily. She looks like she's about to melt. Out! Out! And, for the second time that day, Lillian was outside. It was hotter now, but still cooler than her attic room. 
not that that was hard. Catherine waved goodbye, and Lillian began to walk towards the coolest place she could think of, Mr Atticop's new underground home. Most people outside were sticking to the shadows of taller buildings. Several of them got out of her way when they saw Fritha in shining white walking towards them. Perhaps it was the heat, but Lillian unfortunately missed the large hand springing out of the alleyway and jerking her into it. Fritha continued on, deaf to Lillian's gasp. A quick glance up revealed Gus Deacon, Breed's oversized thug. He said nothing, but he did not take his hand off Lillian's arm as he marched her down the alleyway. Lillian barely had time to get her bearings. One thought did spring up, though. If Deacon is here, that means... Hello, Hayseed. A cold voice cut through the heat. Deacon shoved Lillian forward so that she came face to face with Taziel Breed. She was only a little taller than her, and in a proper fight, Lillian thought she might have stood a chance. That was if Deacon had not been there and Breed had two hands tied behind her back. Lillian gritted her teeth and said nothing. Not up for chatting? Good. That means I can do all the talking. You just get that silly hair out of your ears and listen to me. My sources say you've been very lucky recently and you've wangled yourself an invite to the big palace shindig tonight. Lillian did not deny it. Breed was too clever for that. Now, here's where it gets interesting. I would like to apologise for my behaviour the other night. My line of work makes it hard to trust strangers. But I like you, Lillian, so I want to say sorry. And to sweeten the act, I would like to offer you 50 sovereigns for that invitation. How does that sound? Lillian gulped and considered her options. Was she serious? Could she even be trusted to deliver on such a promise? Her mind quickly raced past doubt and ran straight into the world of possibilities that would open up with that kind of money in her possession. She could get a new room, a cool room beside one of the rivers. Lillian's conscience watched all of this and moved her to shake her head. The invitation was too valuable to risk. She would have to play her hand very carefully. Thank you for the apology, but I'm afraid I must offer apologies of my own. The invitation represents interests that exceed monetary value. I'm not ready to part with it. There was a silence while Breed considered her words. Finally, she spoke in a voice so soft, Lillian was worried she might have to slip into focus to hear her. Very well, but understand this, Hayseed. By not giving me what I want for a price that I think you'll agree is well above its worth, you are effectively taking something away from me. Now, I don't know how things work in the countryside. Maybe you deal exclusively in promises and buttercups, but here in the city, that means you owe me. Understand? Lillian instinctively looked for Fritha by her side, or for Mr Atticop in the alley entrance, but neither of them appeared, so all Lillian could do was nod. Good. Well, I'll let you know what I need soon. 
Bye, Hayseed. Enjoy the sunshine. Lillian did not mention the encounter to Mr. Atacop when she saw him. She had found Fritha wandering the fish market and dragged her to Mr. Atacop's underground home. She had planned to tell him, but as soon as she walked down the wooden steps, he leapt into his plan for the evening, and the moment passed. I think you should avoid sitting down with anyone. There are likely to be seats, and people will undoubtedly start sitting in groups. How did the dressmaking go? Lillian shrugged and helped herself to the pitcher of clean water on the side table. I got too hot. Catherine said I should go to where she works, and she'll lend me a dress. Mr. Atkop paused. A little risky, don't you think? What do you mean? Well, this is what I wanted to talk to you about. Tonight's party is going to be one big political battlefield. Leaving a certain noble's house hours before the ball could be used as ammunition against you. In fact, anything that you say or do will be weighed and considered from every angle. Oh, nice, said Lillian after almost spitting out her water as if this wasn't enough pressure. Mr. Atkop pointed an accusatory finger. You were the one who said she could do this. Lillian, it's not too late to back out. I... No, it's fine. I can do it. I'm just nervous. Dances, nobles, all this fancy stuff isn't really my thing. Mr. Atkop patted Fritha on the head and nodded in understanding. I know, and you will be fine. Think about it. All those conversations we had on the road here, that was your education, and today is the final exam. And hey, he snapped his fingers and Lillian looked up. You can do it. Here's how I see it. Imagine I ask you a question like, who was the first king to unite Elysium? You would say. Lillian didn't need to think for too long. King Leodin. And what was he famous for wearing in battle? Black armour. Exactly. So, if someone approaches you at the ball and makes a comment about somebody's dark clothes, you could say... Lillian paused for a few seconds with a quizzical look on her face. Mr. Atacop elaborated. Imagine that everything everyone says is an attempt to gain status. You need to either give them status by laughing at the joke or you elevate your status by making your own. So, if a man walks into the ball wearing a dark, dreary suit and you hear a comment about it, you would say... Lillian began to understand, although this was surely the quickest course in court etiquette there ever was. Nobles spent their lives refining these conversational skills, and here she was supposed to master it in a couple of hours. I could say... Oh, look, it's King Leodin. Mr. Atkop scrunched up his face. Yes, but like you're trying to make me laugh. The pressure was mounting. Lillian threw her hands up in a huff. She took a breath and walked the situation through in her head. Some noble has commented on somebody's clothes. I want to show them I'm worth their time by saying an inoffensive comment that will create a bond. The riskier the joke, the more assumptions I'm making about my station. Lillian relaxed and said, Oh my, I didn't realise King Leodin had such a small nose. She threw in a fake gasp for good measure and looked at Mr. Atacop. He was sporting a weak smile. 
Yes, that's quite good. Nice touch on the small nose. That should get you a polite titter at the very least. But really, it's probably best you wander around trying to find somewhere quiet. Lillian had actually quite liked her own joke and took some small solace that if all else fails, at least she could make herself laugh tonight. Now, Mr. Atkop continued, just treat any conversation like a game where the aim is to be the cleverest, most humble, sweetest, yet assertive person in the room. Lillian did spit the water out this time. How am I supposed to do that? Mr. Atkop smiled, and Lillian sensed he was going to say something annoying. Practice. Lillian spent the rest of the day learning about the various nuances and verbal acrobatics one could use to different effects. There were apparently subtle ways one could determine if someone was of a higher social standing than you. This didn't concern Lillian much at the time, because everyone was of a higher social standing than her. But it was interesting. Just like learning about how questions can make people like you, and how stories about yourself should always end in a joke at your own expense. Lillian found herself fascinated by things she had taken for granted her whole life, but had never thought to use in such a way. It was like looking through magnifying lenses at the colours and detailing in a grain of sand. By the end of the afternoon, her nerves had lessened and they made their way through the heat and crowds to Catherine's place of work. It turned out that Catherine had been very busy. The children she governed were at a friend's, but the lady of the house was still there when they arrived. Lillian had almost bolted when she opened the door, but Catherine assured her that the lady was kind and willing to help. Thank you, my lady. Lillian bowed her head and did the customary curtsy to show appreciation. Dear heart, call me Lady Montedore. You are Lillian, correct? Lillian nodded. And a Mr... Atacop, my lady. Lady Montedore smiled. Well, that's quite enough formalities. Shall we get ready for a ball? She flashed perfectly pearl-white teeth and bright blue eyes at Lillian. She was wearing a pink dress that was both elegant and functional, as well as a small scarf wrapped and tied tightly around her neck. Come in, come in. Please mind the step. I'm afraid pets must stay in the boot room, as I've just been cleaning, and I've got people coming over tomorrow. She led Fritha to a small room with a stone floor and an old pile of coats in the corner. It wasn't much, but it did come with two bowls, one full of water and one full of chicken, so Fritha didn't seem to mind. The next 45 minutes were a whirlwind of dressing, walking and talking. The talking was mostly done by Lady Montedore, who seemed as though, given the right incentive, could talk for several hours without stopping. Lillian had trouble focusing on all the details, but apparently her husband worked in the banking district, she did a lot of charity work, and Lillian didn't have the right hair colour for brown. Whilst Catherine and the lady of the house debated which colour and dress style might work best, Lillian was instructed to bathe and brush her hair. Lillian was glad to escape the hubbub for a moment and gazed at the porcelain basin of steaming hot water. She brought out the small stick gifted to her by Mr. Atacop's friend Katrina that she had remembered to bring with her. She crushed the end and watched an inch crumble into the water dyeing it a vivid, sandy red. 
Lillian washed her hair in the now sweet-smelling bath, and after drying and brushing it, could swear that its colour had intensified somewhat. Eventually, the whirlwind outside the bathroom subsided, and Lillian found herself walking up and down a large room with pink wallpaper in a dark green dress. Oh yes, I think that's marvellous, said Lady Montadori. Lillian looked at the dress in the large, floor-length mirror. She barely recognised herself. The dress was many different shades of green, flowing down from light to dark. Small details in the stitching made the material look as though it was dotted with small leaves. It's not quite this year's fashion, more like about six years ago, but I think that works, don't you? Catherine agreed. It's classic, but it matches the theme. Lillian glanced over at a shelf high above her. It contained an array of strange-looking faces. Can I wear a mask? she asked, pointing up. No. Mr. Atkop was leaning on a chest of drawers in the corner. Only boring people wear masks. Lady Montadore nodded emphatically, but still got up to go to the shelf. That's true. However... She paused for dramatic effect as she reached up and gently brought down a small and beautiful leather mask in the colours and shape of a rather fierce-looking fox. Lillian's face lit up. She watched as Catherine took it, cut it further down, with the lady's permission, and fashioned it into a headpiece with the help of some wispy green fabric and a few well-placed pins. Lillian put it on and spun straight back to the mirror. The fox's ears framed her hair, and the nose stuck out slightly above her eyes, effectively hiding her face. A mask, but not a mask. Lillian smiled at her reflection. I love it! With just one hour to spare, Lillian was out of the door. The final adjustments had been made, the shoes had been chosen, and Fritha had been bid a sleepy goodbye. Lillian was loath to leave her, but she would not be allowed to enter the palace grounds. Lady Montadore and Catherine had waved her off and Mr Atacop accompanied her to the palace gates. Lillian gripped the invitation tightly as she walked. Visions of breed and nasty, gossiping nobles were flashing through her mind with every step. Mr Atacop began to run her through various scenarios. What do you do if you meet a duke? How many women are on the council? Who is the Empress's brother? How old is the palace? Lillian was irritated at first, but once she started answering the questions, she felt her mind begin to calm. This was Mr Atkop's plan, of course, as he just noticed Lillian absent-mindedly grinding her teeth. Something she did when she was nervous. He kept repeating to himself that she would be fine. There hadn't been any real violence at one of these fancy parties in decades, the worst that can happen is that someone makes a social faux pas, and why should Lillian care about that? The questions ceased as the palace came into view. It was adorned with hundreds of coloured lanterns, green and pink and white mixed to make the castle feel like something out of a fairy tale. Lillian could not see beyond the wall, but she could hear the sound of instruments coming from beyond. As they approached the gates, she saw the players welcoming the guests with music as they stepped beyond the threshold. The gate was heavily guarded, but all guards were on their best behaviour. Lillian watched one guard bow as he took a woman's invitation. 
She wondered if they would do the same for her. Very well, this is where I leave you. Best of luck. Mr. Atticop stood to one side and awkwardly waited for Lillian to leave. She laughed and gave him a hug. I'll see you in a few hours. Yes, quite. Just be careful, won't you? He said, awkwardly hugging her back. Lillian released him and nodded. And if you see any noble that looks like he believes his own drivel, why don't you knock him down a peg? Lillian smiled and agreed. She began walking over to the gate and began to feel nervous. She handed the invitation over to the guard, who did not bow, but instead looked closely at the invitation and then back at Lillian. Just when Lillian began to think something was off, he smiled and handed it back. Have a pleasant evening, my lady. Lillian bowed her head and thanked him. She then took a deep breath and walked through the palace gates. The court was lined with houses. Lillian had seen them from the rooftop, but they looked far more impressive from street level. They were also festooned with the Empress's colours, along with green vines and branches sticking out of balconies. The whole court was made to feel like a forest, in fact. Four musicians, dressed as nymphs, greeted the guests as they walked through the gates. Lillian made her way past them and into a makeshift forest with real trees that must have been transported for miles to get there. The evening's light dimmed as she entered the trees. Fortunately, small, colourful flames guided the way through the towering pines and birches. Lillian's second thought after how impressed she felt was, Fritha would love this. Lillian navigated the maze of lights and leaves, and after a while she began to hear laughter. She followed the sound until she turned a corner and the palace steps came into view. A pink carpet cascaded down the steps and a group of young women were huddled around something at their base. Lillian approached slowly and craned her neck to see a man with an enormous bird on his arm. Its feathers were long and twitched with each of its quick movements. Its colours of gold and deep blue shone so brightly that they would have made Fritha jealous. It flapped its wings and let out a loud trumpet to the delight of the small crowd. Cute, thought Lillian, a herald bird to announce the guests. Whoever had planned this night had thought of everything. Lillian made her way up the steps. She kept her eyes low, not wanting to draw unnecessary attention to herself. She felt a pang of regret at not having anyone to share the experience with, but looked forward to telling the story later. The palace doors were at least 15 feet high. They were made of thick oak with iron bracings. The palace doubled as a fortress when the city was under threat, and it was these doors that would be the final barrier between an invading army and the Empress. Thankfully, the doors were wide open and Lillian held her breath as she stepped into the palace. She was immediately greeted by a smiling server dressed in a leafy green waistcoat. He held out a tray of tall glasses, each containing a different colour liquid. She grabbed the closest one, which happened to be peachy pink, and thanked him. 
Next came a woman handing out little bite-sized biscuits, each with a small bit of cheese and dried meat on top. Lillian hadn't eaten all day, but she resisted the urge to grab a handful. She took one and made her way into the main hall. Many of the guests had already arrived, and so the enchanted forest was already teeming with life. There must have been over 300 guests, and each of them were wearing their own interpretation of the theme. Lillian saw a man dressed as a badger, and three women wearing matching fairy wings. Lillian looked up the columns that were made to look like trees at the ceiling. For a split second, she wondered if the roof had been taken off. Hundreds of tiny lights dotted the darkness of the rafters, giving the impression you were looking up at the night sky. There was even a giant and glowing moon, made by a clever combination of paper and fire lights. Lillian gasped and almost choked on her biscuit. Two men were striding high above the crowd on stilts. They were dressed as fawns and were dropping leafy garlands onto the heads of the guests. Lillian watched them walk past a band who were expertly mimicking the sounds of a magical forest. Soft, tinkling notes were playing over the calming sound of rain. Lillian was in awe. This decadence, this display of wealth and means was almost too much for her to bear. Only that morning she had seen a man begging for bread on the corner of her street. She had apologised and admitted to not having any bread, and yet here she was, surrounded by more food than she could eat and more money than her teenage mind could conceive of. She shook off the feeling of not belonging and resolved to enjoy herself as best she could. Poverty in Fridos did need to be tackled, but there was not much she could do about it in this moment. She looked across the crowd and spied two younger-looking guests dressed in fine gowns and suits with antlers sticking out of their heads. They seemed nice enough and were being left alone by the larger crowds, and so Lillian decided to befriend them. Everyone was still in the main reception hall, so if she left to find a quiet spot now, she might be seen. She took a deep breath, steeled herself, quickly ran through the names of all the leaders of Fridos of the past century, and made her way towards the man and woman with the antlers. She had just worked out the perfect opening line to introduce herself by when she felt a hand fall on her shoulder. Her heart almost stopped. This was it, she thought. The invitation had been delivered to the wrong address and she had been found out. She turned to see who the hand belonged to and came face to face with a man in a tall hat, pink coat and white jodhpurs. He was taller than Lillian and smelt like the perfume shop that Lillian liked to walk past in Bonville. He seemed familiar despite Lillian not being able to see his face due to it being half covered by a pink and gold mask. It was like a theatrical villain's mask, only much more ornate. Lillian had spotted several of these masks about the hall. The wearers all seemed sullen and distant from the rest of the guests. Security? thought Lillian. Excuse me, Miss Lausanne? Lillian was still too nervous to speak, so she nodded in reply. If you'll come with me, please. His voice was thick and sweet like treacle, and Lillian found herself following him before having a chance to question what she was doing. She assumed this man, whoever he was, was used to getting people to do things for him. 
He turned and began walking away from her. Lillian noticed that he walked with the aid of an elegant cane, although he didn't seem to be putting much weight on it. She followed him through the crowd of excited revellers towards a small staircase at the back of the hall. Another man with a pink mask was standing in front of it, but moved when he saw them approach. Lillian looked back at the party one last time before the stairs curved away and she was left following this stranger alone. She grew nervous once again. She couldn't shake the feeling of familiarity she got from this man. The mask did not do a great job of covering his face, so she knew that she would not recognise him without it. Perhaps it was just the perfume shop, she thought, and went back to concentrating on the rapidly narrowing steps. Lillian was just recalling the quickest way to the exit when they emerged onto a sort of balcony space. They had been climbing for a short while, so Lillian's legs were a little heavy. The steps continued round and up, but the man gestured for Lillian to follow him out at this level. Lillian couldn't place where she was at first, but when she glanced over the edge of the railing, she could see the main hall and its many guests far below. She had completely missed it when looking up at the false stars and moon, but then she thought that was probably the point. The balcony blended into the curving walls and was lit only by a few candles, so that anyone up here could see down below, but those below remained oblivious to being watched. The perfumed man led Lillian towards the only set of chairs on the balcony, which spanned the entire width of the hall. The chairs were dark pink, with white flowers embroidered into the material. The man gestured for Lillian to sit on the chair to the right. It was much more comfortable than it seemed. Lillian bounced a couple of times to get the measure of just how comfy it was, and when she looked up, she realised that she had been left alone. What in the seven heavens was going on? thought Lillian. A few minutes passed and Lillian's nerves subsided. Perhaps they just wanted her out of the main party. Had her fox hat ruffled some feathers? Was she younger than the palace allowed? Lillian thought all this and more whilst peering over the stone railing of the party below. She was trying to catch snippets of conversation, but from this height the sound all blended into one low drone. Seeing as she was alone, she glanced about and then closed her eyes. Within a few seconds the noise was becoming louder and clearer, as Lillian slipped into a deep state of focus. She dropped her attention over the edge of the balcony and had fun wandering through the different conversations. It was mostly just nobles catching up since their last party or gossiping about what certain people were wearing or saying. Lillian thought about using this time to explore beyond the palace and hopefully find the source of that strange sound when suddenly she heard the sound of steps on stone and she brought herself slowly out of focus. Lillian opened her eyes to see two women, one following the other, walking towards her from the stone steps. Unlike Lillian, they had reached the balcony from coming down the stairs instead of up. They were both beautifully dressed. The smaller woman, who was two or three steps behind, was looking at some small sheets of paper in her right hand, in her left, she held a charcoal pencil and would occasionally use it to make a change to whatever was on the pages. 
She wore a black gown that had a small frog embroidered in silver at the base. The woman in front had silky brown hair that curled and cascaded down her left shoulder like a waterfall. Her lips were tinted red and her dress was a deep jade green. It shimmered with every step and Lillian was reminded of the Paderstone ponds in moonlight. The dress was by far one of the simplest she had seen all evening, but it was without a doubt the most expensive. Even her jewellery was simple, just a small necklace and a ring on her left hand. But Lillian would have bet good money that the ring alone could easily be traded for four or five buildings in her part of the old town. The woman was smiling as she approached. Lillian stood up as she neared and returned the smile, unsure as to what else to do. When they were within speaking distance, Lillian curtsied as was custom. The woman did not return the curtsy, but instead smiled and nodded her head in thanks. This told Lillian that whoever she was, she was important. In fact, there was only one person in the entire city who could informally nod at a stranger's formal curtsy. The lady in green sat down and gestured for Lillian to do the same. The woman in black did not look up from her pages and remained standing a few feet away. Lillian had to lower herself very slowly onto the chair. She dared not look, but she knew her hands were shaking. A flush of heat was filling her cheeks and her head was spinning. What was happening, she thought. Why was she here? This whole thing had been a mistake. Should she run? Should she jump? No, Lillian could do nothing. She was frozen to her seat and could only wait for the woman in green to speak. Good evening, she said. I am Empress Sylvia. You must be Lillian Lausanne. Hello, thank you for listening to episode 33, the final episode of season 3 of Ben Luna. My name is Simon Maida, I write and read the episodes, the music was by the very talented Tom Figgins. The voice you heard at the end there was that of the incredibly talented Tanya Reynolds. Tanya is a London-based actor known for her many roles on stage and screen. She played the part of Lily in Netflix's Sex Education. She was Mrs. Elton in the 2020 Jane Austen adaptation Emma. And she's performed at the Royal Court in Scenes with Girls by Miriam Batty. We are so lucky and grateful that she was able to take on the role of Empress Sylvia and we hope to hear more from her character in season four of Ben Luna. I want to thank you all for your continued listening and support. I'll be taking a few weeks off to finish writing season four. I'll be sure to keep you updated on the progress via social media at Ben Luna Podcast. I also want to extend a big thank you to the Arts Council for supporting this season. The grant has allowed us to reach a lot more people, teach free workshops, market the podcast, partner with artists and performers, and all round improve the quality and lives of everyone involved. 
So, it's with great pleasure that for this one last time, I get to say that Season 3 of Ben Luna is supported using public funding by the National Lottery through Arts Council England. Thank you again for listening. See you all in Season 4 of Ben Luna.